0: We've been talking about these, uh, these two primary uh, alternative origin stories over the first two weeks of this series. There's the biblical viewpoint in which God is the creator of all that is. And then uh, there's the second uh, viewpoint, which is the teaching of the modern scientific community, which says that the universe, the earth, and all life, including you and me, just happen by chance through natural, unguided processes. And we spent those weeks uh, discussing a, a proper approach to that question uh, w- where we respect the biblical evidence and we also respect the, the findings of science and the evidence from science. And then we uh, looked also at some of the key biblical and scientific evidence for various points of those origin stories. If you missed either of those sermons, I really encourage you to go back and pick them up online. Uh, you'll find them at clearwater.church. But now we're moving on from considering alternative origin stories, and we'll be looking more in detail at the story of the Bible and what it teaches about our origins. And today we're going to be looking at the biblical story of the origin of humanity. And the story begins in the beginning of all things. The Bible tells us how God created all things by speaking them Into existence. His creative actions are described as simple words of power. It says, Let there be light, and there was light. And God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered into one place, and let dry ground appear, and it was so. And throughout the biblical story, God simply speaks words and it makes things happen. The, God, the Bible describes how God created the sun, the moon, all the stars in the sky, the oceans, the land, and the sky itself. Then once the physical world is created, God begins to populate it with living things. It says, Then God said, that the, Let the land produce vegetation, and it was so. Then he created all the interesting, wild, and crazy things that live in the oceans. And there are some weird things living out there. Then he created birds to fly in the skies. Then he created all the animals that live on the land. And I'm not sure about the amphibians, whether they were created with the land animals or the water animals, but somehow in there, the amphibians were included as well. Um, And then... uh, then the Bible it doesn't really go into detail about any of the various living creatures that are created at this point. Um, it only gives us these huge categories of plants and trees, and then water animals, flying creatures, and land-dwelling creatures. And which category are the penguins in? Not quite sure whether they're with the flying creatures, the land creatures, water creatures. They could be any of the three, but somehow God created the penguins in there also. And God puts all these creatures on earth, a huge array of plants and animals, to occupy the world that he made for them to live in. Why did God do that? Why did God create all this stuff? Why did he make the world, why did he make all these living things to live in it? Well, the Bible doesn't really ask that question directly, and so we don't have a a clear, straightforward answer to it, but, um, but we know from various parts of the Bible that what the creation does is it brings glory to God. Every part of the wonder and the variety of the world and the amazing life that lives here all brings glory to the creative and wonderful God who made it all. We're going to look at a couple of places in the Bible where it talks about that. One is in the book of Romans, where the Bible says, Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. So God, uh, from what he has, what was made, we can see his divine nature, and especially we see his uh, power and, and uh, divinity. And then one of the poems in Isaiah says this, it says, To whom will you compare me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Another place in the Bible where we see a... a, discussion of nature and how it brings about, uh, or brings glory to God, is in the book of Job. Job um, was complaining about the unfairness of his life, and then it says this, it says, then God spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, who is this who obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man, and I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? Or what were its, on what were its footings set? Or who laid the cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? When I fixed limits for it? and set its doors and bars in place when i said this far you may come and no farther here is where your proud waves halt and then god goes on to describe the wonders of light and dark and birds in flight and rain and snow and ice and lions and mountain goats and and ostriches and some kind of a giant sea creature that he describes he calls it a leviathan not quite sure what exactly that is, and then some kind of a giant untamable beast called a behemoth, which sounds like it could be some kind of a dinosaur, I don't know. But what is God's point in talking about all these wonderful and wild things in the creation? Well, here's what he says to Job in the midst of all this discussion of creation. He says this, "'Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him?' Let God let him who accuses God answer him. Then Job answered the Lord, "I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer; twice, but I will say no more." Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm, "Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you will answer me. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me?" to justify yourself? You see, the glory of God is seen in all that he has created. God is the great and powerful, all-knowing, magnificent God of the universe. Job or anyone else, do you really think that you know better than God? Would you condemn God in order to justify yourself? See, the creation shows the greatness and wonder of God. And we know so many more things about creation than Job did back in his day. With all of our scientific advances and things, now we know about the innumerable galaxies that exist out beyond the sight of our eyes. We know about the microscopic world with all of the things there that that Job had no idea of, but that God created. One more section from the Bible on how the creation brings glory to God is from Psalm 19. It says The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they have no words. No sound is heard for them, that their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. So the creation is made to bring glory to God, to proclaim His praise, and to bring Him glory. And then, when all of this is finished, and the world and all the living things that are in it have been created and they're all displaying the glory of God, then the Bible says this. It says, "'Then God said, "'Let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness "'so that they may rule over the fish of the sea "'and the birds of the sky, "'over the livestock and all the wild animals "'and over all the creatures that move along the ground.'" See, this is different from the way that uh, the rest of creation is described. In fact, uh, uh, there's some kind of a discussion going on here. We don't actually. This isn't actually the verse where God creates. It's just God uh, saying he's going to create or talking to someone about creating uh, people. Um, the verse doesn't actually tell us the creative act itself. That comes in the next verse. So here it's just the declaration of the plan to make mankind. And a lot of people have wondered about who he's talking to when it says us and our in this verse. It says, let us make God in our image. And uh, so who is that? Well, the short answer is it doesn't say. Uh, so it's a bit of a mystery to us to, uh, to understand this really. Um, and it, it is a bit odd And I think that probably the best understanding of it is that this is a kind of a foreshadow that shows that there is a plurality of persons in God himself. It's obviously, you know, it's not even close to a full explanation of the Trinity, um, and people did not understand the Trinity from reading this verse back in the day. Um, But it is kind of a mysterious hint, a mysterious foreshadowing that there is something unusual about the nature of God in that he can talk to himself and say, let us make God in our image. And, of course, later it's explained to us that uh, the the Son and the Holy Spirit and the Father were all involved in creation, and that's probably what uh, is going on here. But something that's a lot more clear than exactly who God is talking to there is that this is a separate different part of creation different than all the other living things people are distinguished from the rest of the creation here in two very important ways first it says that we are created in the image of god so nothing else in all the universe is said to be in the image of god only people And we're going to talk more about what that means in just a moment. But the the second thing that distinguishes us from the rest of the creation here is that when God creates us, He says that we are to rule over the rest of uh, the things that God has created, and especially over the rest of the living things. So that idea is expanded in a couple of verses uh, further down here, and we're going to talk about that more in a moment as well. But But humans are unique here in at least these two ways over all the rest of creation. We are created separately from the rest of the animals after God states his plan to make us uh, in his own image and to rule over all the rest of the living things. Now, one question is, which people are we talking about here? Which, Which people are created in the image of God and intended to rule over the rest of creation? Well, clearly it's all people, right? All people are included in this. Black people, white people, Asians, Alaska Natives, all come from the original people, Adam and Eve, and the parents of us all, and, uh, and we're all created in God's image. This gives great value to every human life. This is where Thomas Jefferson and the Founding Fathers got the idea that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. And this is why we should care about the welfare of every person on the planet, even people who voted for the other guy in the last presidential election. This is why we care about famines and hurricanes and wars in far off lands. This is why we want to see the end of degrading poverty. This is why we long to see the end of injustice and abuse. This is why the opioid epidemic breaks our hearts. This is why human trafficking is an evil that we all want to see stamped out. The people who are suffering from all these evils are people who are made in the image of God. They are people just like us, just like our sons and daughters. No matter what race they are, what political organizations they belong to, which part of the world they live in, or what kinds of bad choices they might have made along the way, all people are image bearers. Now, for some of us, it's easier for us to understand and accept and to see the value of the image of God in all mankind in general than it is to see God's image in ourselves. But let me tell you right now, you are made in the image of God and intended by God to rule over the rest of creation. You have inherent dignity and value because you have been assigned dignity and value by God. And no failure on your part, no weakness, no anything can ever take that away. You bear the image of God. Now in the next verse... Uh, God actually creates Adam and Eve. It says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, we can assume that when God created all the rest of the animals, when he created the uh, the iguanas and the jellyfish and the elephants and all the rest of those things, they were all also created as male and female, right? Otherwise, they wouldn't have survived for very long. Um, But the Bible doesn't consider that worth mentioning. Uh, But here it is. When it comes to the creation of mankind, God specifies that he has created them male and female and that both genders are in the image of God. And in fact, in chapter 2, where it gives a more detailed story of the origins of humanity... This first male and female are, of course, named and described and have much more full story of how they're created, and both Adam and Eve are created by God and made in his image and given the responsibility to rule over the creation. So from this origin story, we see the fundamental equality of men and women. just like we see the fundamental equality of all races of people, who descended from Adam and Eve, we all have the same origin story. However, it's clear that God created mankind, male and female, just two genders. And of course, I realize that that's not an up-to-date and modern way of looking at things. In fact, I checked on Facebook, they now have 56 gender description options for you On your profile. Um, But but really, God created us with two genders, just female and male. And all of these other things, all these other ways of describing ourselves are really just subcategories of either male or female. Um, They all fit into the original two categories. Even people who um, have a variety of feelings and attractions that make them think that they don't fit in. They really do fit into one of those two categories. A gay man is still a man. A woman who likes to dress like a man and has uh, prefers uh, women to men is still a woman. And all those various other categories are still just men and women who have different feelings and desires that don't fit into our traditional understandings of women and men. But we are all either sons of Adam or daughters of Eve. And yes, people who describe their gender in one of the other 54 ways on Facebook, um, they are very much created in the image of God, too. And in fact, some of those people who use one of those other descriptions to talk about themselves are even good Christian people who are acceptable to God and will be with us in heaven. One example is um, a Moody Bible Institute theology professor, Christopher Yuan, who is a gay man. Uh, He lives a but life, and uh, yet he is a born-again, saved Christian person who is uh, just as acceptable to God as any of us. So I think I've probably said enough to offend a lot of people on both sides of that issue there, so I'm going to move on. So, uh, But first, let me say that I did choose my words carefully in that section, and I am... Uh, confident that the Bible teaches the things that I have just been saying. so um, I want to spend some time now looking in a little more detail at the idea that we are made in the image of God. What does it really mean to say that we are made in the image of God? Well, basically, the phrase just means simply that we are similar to God in some way. We're made in His image. We have some similarity to God. We are like Him. And the phrase itself doesn't tell us how we are like Him, just that we are. And sometimes a pastor or teacher will try to explain the image of God by boiling it down to one or two similarities and things that we have in common with God that in ways that we're like God. But, and, and so maybe it's the fact that we are relational beings, that we are made to live in connection to other persons. God is also a relational being and has relationships, first of all, within the Trinity with himself and also with all the persons that he has created. Or some would say that it is our ability to make moral choices that is the heart of God's image in us. Because even though it seems like cats are making evil choices, animals don't really have moral agency. And so cats are just and cats and it's humans that are actually moral agents and have uh, 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 in a way that's more similar to the way that God is able to make those kinds of choices and, uh, and and we're more similar to God in our morality than we are to the rest of the creation. Or some people have suggested that it is our creativity or our reasoning minds or the fact that we are spiritual, as well as physical creatures, and our souls are the image of God. But the problem with any of those suggestions as to this is really the core of what it means to be in the image of God is that they are all correct. Uh, To say that we are in the image of God is just to say that we are like God. In what way are we like God? Many ways. We are like God in many ways. Our complex emotions, our moral conscience... Our ability to love, our ability to act altruistically, our ability to sense the presence of God, our abstract thinking, our ability to put our thoughts into language, our appreciation of beauty, our sense of and desire for justice, all of those things are uh, ways that we are made in the image of God. And not all of those things are completely and totally unique in creation. There are um, some animals that have some rudimentary forms of communication through language. There are some animals that show companionship and attachment for others in some kinds of relationships. But none to the extent that people do. And none with anything close to all of the complex ways that we resemble our Creator. I do think that some aspects of God's image are more significant than others. Those things related to our ability to relate to other persons and our moral nature, those stand out as key ideas. And obviously the fact that we have eternal souls is an important way that we are like God. Now, Genesis chapter 1 uh, completes its origin story of humanity and gives us more about the image of God in the next verse. Verse 28 here says, "'God blessed them and said to them, "'Be fruitful and increase in number. "'Fill the earth and subdue it. "'Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky "'and over every living thing that moves on the ground.'" So here we see God commissioning Adam and Eve uh, to go and do what he planned for them to do uh, before he made them. And he gives them a three part commission. One, he asks them to be fruitful and increase in number. So they are to go out and, and populate the earth. Uh, number two, fill the earth and subdue it. And then three, rule over the other living creatures. So as the image bearers of God, we are also his representatives and agents in creation. God has put us in the world and given us the task to fill it, subdue it, and rule over it. We are God's stewards and his servants and his people. And this, of course, has great implications for how we relate to the rest of the creation. Do we have the right to take the eggs from a chicken and eat them? Do we have the right to keep animals in captivity and raise them and then kill them and eat them? Yes, we're given that right and that responsibility to rule over the rest of the animals and that includes agricultural uses for animals. But it also means that we are responsible to relate to all of the other creatures in an appropriate way. Um, How would you feel about a ruler who abuses his subjects and treats them without concern for their welfare? Clearly, the responsibility to rule is a responsibility to treat the creation with care and concern. And that goes even for the non-living parts of creation, too. Uh, we are authorized to use these things for our own benefit. We can dig mines and cultivate lands and build dams and irrigations. And, of course, we can cut down trees for firewood and for lumber. And all, but all of these things must be done in a way that is responsible and in line with the concept of our stewardship over the rest of Creation, As God's image bearers who have been commissioned to subdue and rule over his creation, we have both rights and responsibilities. And exactly how we balance those two in specific situations is, of course, open to some debate and, uh, and discussion, but the fact that both are true and must be balanced, that is not debatable. That is clearly taught in our origin story. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them, and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. That is our true origin story. And it helps us to understand ourselves and who we are. And it gives us dignity and worth. And it shows that we are all equal, no matter our race or gender. And it gives us privileges and responsibilities. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are grateful to you for life itself, for creating us, and for giving us so many privileges in your creation. We thank you that uh, you made us to be like you, And I pray that you would help us to be more and more like you. Father, I ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.